current CEO of Radius, Joel. Again, company launched in 2012. He got really active, call it a year, year and a half ago in terms of being in, in on the executive team. They've raised about 100 million bucks. Again, helping with uh, you know data management, specifically customer uh, being a customer data platform in the B2B space. They really focus on a tight number of customers called 100 customers, high ACVs, targeting 50 to 90% year over year growth moving forward, 150% net revenue retention annually because they have very clearly defined pricing axes. And again, less than a six month payback on most of their acquisition strategies right now. Team of 75 based mostly in San Francisco. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Joel Carosson. He's the CEO of a company called Radius, the first B2B enterprise customer data platform. Joel holds a wealth of knowledge on and a passion for the CDP space and was one of the original architects of Radius Unify, the first ever fully flexible B2B CDP, bringing the new solution to market. Joel, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. All right. So first off, help us be be really prescriptive here and kind of the definition of uh, how you define B2B enterprise customer data platform. What's that mean? For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think CDPs have been around for quite a while now. It's more uh, synonymous with the uh, the business consumer side. About a year or so ago, I mean, Radius has been in the, I would say, the B2B uh, customer data space for a number of years um, before CDPs kind of got hot on the B2B side. Um, at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're taking uh, through either native integrations or through an open API that we have available, um, ingesting, merging, matching, normalizing customer data. Um, whether it's from first-party systems like CRM or marketing automation or third-party systems that they're buying data from, say, Dun & Bradstreet or InfoGroup or some of the other major players, um, and basically leveraging our infrastructure uh, to create that single source of truth or that single customer view with the idea that you can then um, pump that, that, that kind of single source of truth out across the organization. So it's not just for marketing, but it can be for marketing and sales and ops and even in uh, IT for data um, you know, analysis or um, or data science. So help me understand, single source of truth is an interesting concept in the data space. And the reason I say that is because when I talk to so many of these providers, ranging from small sub 10 million AR players all the way up to 100, 200 million dollar range, it's very incestual. Kind of everyone buys everybody else's data. And it's hard to understand who truly has a moat around the data set. So, so when you're capturing this data, is it unique data that nobody else can get a hold of? Yeah, so our model is uh, it's based on two different kind of um, two different approaches. So one is we do have our own core data assets. So Radius has its own proprietary um, B2B data set. Uh, domestic only today, we cover approximately um, 18 million businesses in the U.S. and uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 million contacts. Uh, we've got partnerships. We just announced a big partnership. Uh, we're doing some co-selling with the folks over at Dun & Bradstreet. So the DMB global file is part of our ecosystem as well. Um, but the nice thing about our model is that it is somewhat of a consortium. So clients that are working with us, the you know enterprise clients, uh, we do have some ability to leverage the data that their sales and marketing teams are generating as part of their normalities to do data validation, um, standardization, even in even in some cases suppression. So it is a crowdsourced type model. Um, we're not doing enrichment on it, but it's more from validation and norm, uh, and uh, suppression. But it's leveraging, you know, our customer base, uh, Comcast, Sam's Club, First Data, you know, large, large enterprise clients with large sales teams uh, and large marketing teams. So they're generating a lot of exhaust data as part of just normal business processes. So that's our moat, at least the way that we've defined it today, is that that network contribution side of the business. So, Joel, how might how might exhaust data or we'll call it sawdust at the sawmill from first data influence the value that customers like Infusionsoft get from Radius? 
Yeah, for sure. So I think the the usually the use case that I go do pretty quickly is let's assume that you've got you know an Eloqua or a Marketo instance that's got 10 million contact records in it. You know, you can leverage uh, you know there's a lot of email validation providers, but there's a subset of emails that are just not verifiable, right? The the email admins go out of their way to make it very difficult to um, to be able to test those. But you can imagine when you have a large number of customers that are all marketing to you know different populations you're going to get some overlap. So what we're seeing is a, you know, an email campaign that may go out by Comcast. Uh, there's going to be a population of those that are open. There's going to be a population that bounce. Within 30 minutes of that bounce happening, it's available uh, for our purview. And then we can go look across the customer base and say, who else has this email address? It's bounced. Let's go and actually scrub it. Interesting. Right? So you can leverage that type of exhaust. And it works not just for emails, but for phones. Um, we help on the ranking logic because you've got you know, n number of sources that are available within our ecosystem, um, as well as what the client's bringing on board, you know, being able to choose the right revenue, choose the right headcount um, for that client, that exhaust data becomes extremely valuable. Uh, if their salesperson is putting in the headcount of the revenue, um, you know, you have potentially can make some more assumptions uh, on the machine learning side that that number may be better accuracy than something that you got from six months ago. It looks like you guys are serving a pretty wide cohort of customers, Joel, but if I forced you kind of into an average just so we can focus the discussion, what would you say the average company would pay per year for this kind of data set? So we do we sell into three different uh, tiers. So we've got a mid-market uh, offering. It's typically in the you know the fifty to 60000 range. Annually? Um, annually, that's correct. Yeah, it's a SaaS product. Uh, we don't charge for data. So when you purchase our platform as part of that, you get unlimited access to our standard data offering. So that 17 million business uh, data set is just, it's kind of a, um, a, free, a freebie that we give away as part of the uh, relationship. Uh, the second group are going to be the, the enterprise clients, uh, sim- you know, somebody within, say, 750 employees or less. Um, that one, you know, get into the, you know, the 100 to 200,000 range. Um, and then we have some that are, you know, that exceed the $2 million ACV. Yeah, that's great. And is there any cohort that you have concentrations in or it's really fairly equal? Yeah, I would say the bulk, I think 80% of our revenue comes from our top 20 customers. So it's fairly well concentrated. They're large strategic deals, um, multi-year in most cases. Um, and then we have a, you know, a, a decent volume in that mid-market, um, you know, mid-market 500 to 750 range. Yep. Fair enough. Put this all on a timeline for us. When did you guys launch the company? And help me understand your involvement. Uh, were you one of the early founders or you were kind of leading product at the beginning and now you're CEO? How's that all work? Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I joined the company about three years ago on the product side. Um, my background was in more on the on the data, uh, data space. So I uh, came out of healthcare data, um, enterprise data management um, for one of the Boston hospitals. Uh, so I was actually more interested in some of the data challenges as opposed to just like the marketing and sales aspect of what we do at Radius. So I joined the company three years ago on the product side, um, was VP of platform for a number of years, and then uh, uh, moved into a CTO role of almost a year ago now. Um, and then over the last year or so, Darian and I, who founded the company, um, have been talking about you know what it would potentially look like for um, his transition. He was looking to move more out of the operational side of the business. He's now moved into chairman of the board. Um, as of the last couple of weeks when I transitioned into the CEO role. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the company was founded in 2012? Uh company was founded in 2012. Yeah, the company was, there's two, uh, there was an initial company that was more of a data provider called Fwix. And then that was, uh, that after one of the, I think the Series A, they um, they rebranded as Radius and that's kind of the path that we've been on since. And, and total capital into the company today, how much have you guys raised? About 100 million. Okay, 100 million. All equity or is that some of that debt? 
so some of it was debt, but vast majority of it was equity. Okay. Were you there when it, the decision was made to use some debt? Uh, I was not actually. So that happened. Um, trying to think. It, I was at the company, but at that point, I wasn't involved with any of the fundraising. Got it. And I was going to ask strategically why that didn't or didn't make sense, but we'll skip that for now um, and focus on things that you might be closer to. So, uh, okay, good. So you joined about call it three years ago. And what have you guys scaled to today in terms of total customers using the platform? So there's a, uh, around 100 customers today. Um, as I said, the bulk of the, the revenue comes from the top 20 logos. Yep. Yeah. So hundred customers. Yeah. So this is very much kind of obviously, you know, high touch, uh, high ARPU kind of accounts. What's your team breakdown today and what does the sales organization look like? Yeah. So the team, the company is around 75 employees right now. Sales is around 20. Yep. Uh, and that's broken down. We've got a, a sales leader. There's three RVPs that cover different territories. Um, they've each got, you know, a handful of people. It's just a total storage size around 20. Engineering is 23 today. Um, combination of folks that work on either data engineering, data science, and then we have our platform team um, that are writing the APIs and some of the, um, the microservices as part of that. And where's everyone based? All San Fran? Yeah. As all of engineering product is based out of San Francisco. Uh, sales is, we've got some folks in the West Coast, but majority of them are just based on where they're, what the regions that they're covering. Okay. So some in the East Coast, uh, New York, New Jersey, and some in the Midwest as well. Yeah, that's great. Help me understand, and again, I'm sure this is different across each of your cohorts, but if we just look at a macro level, net revenue retention each year, when you factor in that gross revenue churn bus add back expansion, I assume you guys are probably north of 100%. How far north of 100? Um, so in term, without getting into specifics, uh, north of 100. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can we put a, can we put a cap on it and say between 100 and 150? Is that fair? Uh, that would be close. Okay. Got it. Fair um, enough. A little low side, yeah. Got it. Okay, good. Well then we'll say north of 150. Then I won't push you any, I won't push you any harder there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, where uh, their valuable lesson here though, is how you think about driving expansion revenue. Typically there's very well-defined pricing axes and that gives your sales team a lot of leverage. What are those axes for you? Um, so I think there's a few things that come into play on our side. So one is obviously the, the size of the brand, um, large logos. We typically, um, there is a value-based pricing as part of it. Uh, we size also by have, what though? Team, team size? Uh, so both on the total headcount size, but more more typically is based on the number of records that we're going to be um, records under management. How many sources is it? Are they large sources, small sources? Um, we look in aggregate based on the type of source. Um, a, it's in, influences what our infrastructure costs are to just provide the CDP offering. Um, and at the same time, we also there's the validation components and things that have um, you know there's uh, there's costs on our side, cost of sales that get incorporated. So we look at total number of records under management, number of discrete sources, just holistically, is it Salesforce plus marketing automation plus you know ten third party or what? Um, and then the other piece is going to be how much of it is going to be uh, professional services. So we've got some API offerings where we're helping the clients do some onboarding. Uh, Comcast is a great example um, where we're, we're running some of the stuff uh, on their behalf, the large data sets that they may be getting from third-party providers. It's just faster for us to do it internally. Um, and then how much of it are they going to be doing themselves? So there's an API volume-based um, metric that goes in as well. Interesting. Um, did you, were those always really clear or how did, how did you kind of evolve your pricing to get to those? Um, so the Unify offering is fairly new. Uh, we've the what offering? The Unify offering, the CDP offering from a platform perspective. Uh, we, we released it. The first client got on about a year ago. 
Um, we were in limited release for six to nine months and we actually GA'd it right around Dreamforce this year. So it's only been fully GA for uh, a few months now. Uh, in terms of the banding, we experimented. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we initially started with how many sources are you going to onboard to the platform? That works okay if the sources are all around the same size, but we'd had somewhere maybe 20 million records in CRM and 5,000 records in a third party. So we started to move away from having just the sheer number of sources have as much influence on the pricing and more towards how large and where are the total number of records in aggregate. Um, the velocity is another big one. So the enterprise part of the enterprise B2B CDP is really important here. Um, the scale and the volume of records that were processed. What do you mean, sorry, what do you mean velocity? That's number of number of records processed per day? Per second. Is per really second, okay. Yeah, so we've got some customers that are doing you know upwards of 200 million records over the course of, uh, say, four or five days. So we're dealing with large, large volumes of transactions. Uh, Infrastructure-wise, and again, we look at what the cost to serve is, um, that is the single most uh, expensive thing for us to be able to scale is how many requests per second do we need to be able to index into our platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a standard offering, which includes you know somewhere around 15 to 20 requests per second. Uh, and then it obviously scales up based on you know, the size of the client and what the velocity that they want to send us records at. Last few questions here, just because we're out of time. Uh, how aggressive are you being in CAC? And maybe you said specifically, how many dollars are you spending to get a new dollar of ARR today? Um, so similar thing without getting into too many specifics, a bulk of our business is coming from field events, uh, today. So we spend, we do a decent amount on the marketing side. It's not huge, but, uh, field events, exec dinners, um, we get a lot of, uh, referrals slash, uh, relationships from folks that have worked for one of our customers and then they change into a new role at some, at another business. And then they come back to us to try to, um, to, uh, to sign up. So it's, it's been manageable right now mm-hmm. uh, to just avoid the CAC number since you don't want to go into that. Can you, I just want to get a sense of, again, how aggressive you're being. Can you talk to me maybe in terms of payback period? I mean, are you happy with a 12 month or are you being more aggressive at 18 or 20? Yeah. So we definitely discount, uh, more heavily on the multi-year, both from a, uh, implementation. It takes, you know, somewhere around 30 days for most clients to be able to, um, you know, get full, start seeing full ROI from the system. Just It's just how long it takes for clients to a lot of times get their sources together and ready to go. Um, but we're sorry, Joe, on at your, your payback period, sorry, on your CAC. Oh, got it. I'm sorry. Uh, we make money after the first few months. Okay. Um, typically. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, that's, like, I mean, that's actually, that's a very surprising, that's very surprising to me. Most companies that have raised your level, they're pushing 12, 16, 24 month payback periods because they have to. Yeah, no, our margins are actually pretty decent. Okay. So you're caught maybe some six months payback. That's obviously healthy. And there, one of the reasons I was looking forward to this interview is because it's actually rare that I see someone with a capital makeup of radius, especially in this space. And what I mean by that specifically is you guys, you know, the founders got on the kind of the funding road early on, right? In 07 and they did a damn good job at it. And growth looks like it was there considering what you raised. But the last round I think was 2015 or 2016. Uh, and so you've come in and kind of, you've had to make some obviously serious changes to continue driving growth without additional capital. And, uh, so, so, you know, thanks for being transparent there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, we, it's not to say that we're not opposed to raising additional money if we need to. Um, I think one of the things that I'm looking at here as we, as you know, transitioning into this, uh, into this new role is, you know, where are there some optimizations that we make, um, in terms of just straight up cost for us? Uh, we did raise a sizable amount of capital. We grew the team, um, you know, fairly quickly in order to be able to uh, to push out a lot of new product. Um, 
when you're going fast, you know, sometimes you may not necessarily make decisions that are quite uh, as economically friendly. So we're, we're doing a full kind of top to bottom review, making sure that we're spending our money wisely. Um, obviously, VC money is really nice, but it comes at a, you know, in a lot of cases, a fairly significant cost. So if we can get away with not having to fundraise again, um, we are expected to be cash flow positive uh, at the end of next year. Which oh, will great. Be great. Well, at that point, you know, obviously fundraising would be more if we wanted to accelerate growth. But at the clip that we're on right now, I think the business feels pretty comfortable um, with, uh, you know, if we raise again, it wouldn't be a huge amount. That's great. And then look, one of the big metrics in terms of like super healthy companies that have raised at your scale is when they start to really approach a one-to-one ratio in terms of funding raised relative to ARR. Do you have that big, beautiful hundred million dollar run rate kind of in your sights you feel like, or it still feels like a stretch goal two to three years out? Uh, so two to three years is probably about right. I mean, I think we're, yeah, that's, that's probably a good estimate. Um, we, uh, I guess I'll answer that by saying there's decisions that we can make as a business to get there faster. Um, and we're weighing right now whether it makes sense for us to do that. You know, we, we could go down market a bit more and just push more sales volume to grow top line. The downside of that is you then have some significant uh, costs associated with customer success, um, you know, in, in the support side of the business. So we're, we're trying to grow it at a at a clip where we don't need to grow the company to 150 people in yeah. order to get $100 million, I think we can do $100 million in revenue with potentially 15, you know, plus 15 of where we are today. Yeah, that's great. If you could do 100 million on 100 employees, that's pretty good revenue per employee where an industry average is called 187 in ARR. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then it, look, I mean, you gave us some numbers earlier in terms of scale today, 100 customers, you kind of said middle price point was called 400, 500 grand ACVs. I think that puts you at like 40 million ish run rate today. Is that generally correct? Uh, sure. I'm not, as I said, it's, it's, it, we've got some large clients that pay us a lot of money and we have um, a fair number of smaller clients as well. So, um, it did, there's a, a pretty wide band in terms of what the, um, you know, what the, uh, the customer base looks like. And what do you hope to grow in terms of growing year over year at slow growth, healthy growth, not crazy cash burn growth? Yeah, I think the the not crazy cash burn growth is certainly you know something that we're looking at. Um, we fortunately, as a business, we've just never had trouble raising money. Yeah. Um, Darren yeah. has done an amazing job of fundraising. Um, we've got a really strong board. We've got a really strong investor base. So it's not that there. We if we don't if we wanted to go out and raise some additional capital, we we certainly could. Um, we're trying to grow at a um, at a fast rate, but at a smart rate. What is that, um, though, Joel? I mean, are you talking thirty percent year over year at your scale, or ninety percent? somewhere between, I would say 50 and 90 at this okay. point. Yeah. It's still, I'd say it's still pretty healthy growth. I mean, considering you haven't raised in a couple of years, so good stuff. All right, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Oh man. Um, or last one you read. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good one. Um, so the Jack Welch book, I think was probably my favorite book. High um, output management. Yeah. So I read that and it's been probably six, nine months since I read that one, but that was, I think the last one that was, um, at the end of it, I, felt that I may want to read it a second time. <laughs> that's that's rare and a good sign. Uh, <laughs> yeah. n- number two, give me an under the radar uh, CEO, Joel, that, you, that you're learning from right now. Oh, interesting. Um, so uh, on the CEO side, actually, uh, not a ton right now. I think I've um, been more working with the COOs because that's an area of the business where I needed some additional capacity. Um, I think the you know, some of the, the financial side of things is where I had a little bit of a gap. Um, our old CEO actually at Radius, so David O'Brand, um, 
one of our board advisors has been extremely helpful um, through this whole transition process. So Great. he and I talk you know, fairly regularly. And number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool for building the company? Uh, so I think if it wasn't for Slack, I don't know I could if I would be able to survive. I think if you look at the Slack statistics for Radius, I am uh, number one by a fair margin. <laughs> uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? As of late, it's been a lot fewer than it used to be. Um, uh, my wife tries to get me to make sure I go to bed by like one o'clock. Okay, so what does that give you? Like six, seven hours a night? Uh, probably around five. Five, okay. So, and then what's your situation? Obviously, you're married. Any kiddos? Yeah, yeah. I've got a son who's um, just uh, about two, actually turns two in uh, a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Okay, so one kiddo. And Joel, how old are you? I am 36. 36. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Ooh, interesting. Um, Take more chances. I think I uh, followed the more conservative path um, throughout my career. I think um, over the last couple of years, I've been more aggressive in terms of uh, some of the opportunities that have presented themselves. I wish I had done that, you know, 10 years ago. Guys, take more chances from the current CEO of Radius, Joel. Again, company launched in 2012. He got really active, called a year, year and a half ago in terms of being in, in on the executive team. They've raised about 100 million bucks. Again, helping with uh, you know data management, specifically customer uh, being a customer data platform in the B2B space. They really focus on a tight number of customers called 100 customers, high ACVs, targeting 50 to 90% year-over-year growth moving forward, 150% net revenue retention annually because they have very clearly defined pricing access season. Again, less than a six-month payback on most of their acquisition strategies right now. Team of 75, based mostly in San Francisco. Joel, thanks for taking us to the top. Yeah, thank you for having me.